You pray with me as we come to the word. Lord, as we just sang, may it be, may it be true of us. We, God, won't be satisfied with anything ordinary. Just coming to church, just, just sitting in here this morning, even just singing songs that we like or whatever it may be, God, if it's ordinary, may it never satisfy. May our hearts always long for you. God, we have come to this place to meet with you. As we often say, if anything short of that happens, this was a waste of time. Would you rain down from heaven on us, God? Would you make your presence known to us? Would you speak your word to our hearts? God, may we have experience with you here this morning. Lord, as we come to your word and... uh, and we study, Jesus, your life. May it be more than just words on a page. May it just be more than a story we've heard and uh, more than just a study. But truly, may the living God speak to us this morning and may we be different because of it. May you increase and I decrease this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing on through the book of Mark. Uh, finishing up Mark chapter 9 here this morning. Uh, And where we've been in Mark chapter 9 so far was the mountain of transfiguration, uh, where Jesus takes three of his disciples up on the mountain and and he is transformed in their presence, begins to shine like lightning. Moses and Elijah show up. Uh, The Lord descends in a cloud on the mountaintop and he speaks to the disciples and he says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And then they go down the mountain back to real life. They find the other disciples arguing with scribes and these townspeople about whether Jesus really has authority or not, uh, spiritual authority to cast the demon out of a young boy. And Jesus comes and, and does exactly that miracle and then challenges his disciples. Says, your, your faith is not up to the task. They said, Jesus, how come we couldn't do it? Remember, he says, because your faith was was too small. If it was even the size of a mustard seed, the amazing things that you would see, the authority that you would have. And so he tells them, pray and fast, deepen your faith. And the disciples, if if you're waiting for a point, I'm just going to give away the ending in Mark where the disciples get it. You got to wait till Acts. The disciples miss it again and again. They keep seeing it played out in front of them and they keep missing it. And today what we're looking at is no different. So they continue on from that place, picking up in Mark 9, verse 30. Then they left that place and made their way through Galilee. But he did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples. Okay, so, so Jesus, they leave that place. It was a pretty public thing. There was a lot of people gathering. He was relatively famous at this point. And so now they start sneaking through the countryside because Jesus is trying to get some alone time with his disciples. Because he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement and they were afraid to ask him. So again, Jesus comes and as point blank as possible, 
There's, there's no crowds around, so he's not speaking in parables. He's just talking to his 12, and he says, look, we're heading to Jerusalem. I will be betrayed, killed, and raised from the dead. And they completely miss it yet again. Again, I don't know if they're thinking, man, maybe this is another parable. Like, what's he trying to get at? Like, wait, who's the son of man in this story? If they're just trying to go too deep with it and he's just laying it on the table. Or what I actually expect is that it just doesn't fit with what they believe the Messiah is. It doesn't fit with what they believe following Jesus looks like. And so they're just unable to put the puzzle pieces together. What he's saying doesn't fit what I've already got figured out in my head. So they just put it to the side. I don't know. We just don't get it. Don't think too hard on it, Peter. It's okay. Let's just keep walking. And I hate this part at the end. And they were afraid to ask him. Honestly, they probably didn't want to hear, where is your faith again? Or they didn't want to hear, do you still not understand? And so instead of coming to Jesus and saying, please teach us. This seems pretty important. You've already said it a couple times and we don't want to miss it. Like, yeah, we don't have understanding. Will you teach us? Out of fear, they just, mm, yes, died in three days. Mm. Raised to life, yeah. That's deep, Jesus, that's deep. I don't know, let's just keep moving. And they completely miss it. And to make things worse, picking up in verse 33, then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent because on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a child, had him stand among them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. So Jesus is talking to them about what is coming up. He's trying to let them in behind the curtain. No one else knows this. I've pulled you guys away so that I can tell you, here's what's coming up when we get to Jerusalem. They nod along. Sure, Jesus, yeah, that sounds good. And immediately, as soon as he gets a couple steps ahead of them, they start arguing over who's the greatest. John, you think you're the greatest? I walked on water. Peter, you made it three steps and you sank. Like what? No way are you the greatest. Look at what I did. When Jesus sent us out two by two, I was casting out demons. I'm going to be the greatest. When his kingdom comes, everybody's going to be behind me. This is the kind of argument they're having on the tales of Jesus saying, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again. And they start having this whole argument about who's the greatest. And and Jesus, man, again, put yourself in the scene. It had to be comical to a point. Hey, uh, I heard, sounds like you guys were having a pretty ruckus conversation back there. What was that about? Who told? Which one of you let the cat out of the bag? He can't know what we were arguing about. Are you kidding me? But Jesus, knowing their heart, he says, you've, you've missed it once again you still are completely lost on what greatness even means. You have the world's view of greatness, and it's wrong. 
Let me show you greatness. And so Jesus calls up a child, picks him up in his arms, says, you want to see greatness? Welcome a child. When you welcome a child, you welcome me, and not only me, but the one who sent me. You want to talk greatness? Being in the presence of the one who sent me is greatness. Welcome a child. You want to become first? Become the greatest servant in the room. That's how you become first in the kingdom. You want to see greatness? Work in the nursery. Welcome the children. And listen, we've heard this before. This is a very familiar passage to us. We're no strangers to Jesus' call to serve. Most of us can quote, the last will be first and the first will be last. We know it in our heads. Yes, Jesus has called us to serve. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And we're to be the same. We know it. We could quote it. But let's take a fun little servant quiz. I quiz myself on this regularly, and it hurts. I've never once aced it. Don't know that I ever will. But I think I understand this service thing. I think I understand the last will be first. And then I go through some of these questions. You want to be a servant? How upset do you get when someone treats you like a servant? How put out are you if service is just expected of you? They don't even ask. They just expect that you serve. How joyful is your service if they don't say or show thanks? How is your attitude when you serve and you aren't served in return? You see, what Jesus was saying is, you want to talk greatness? Become a servant of all. Find joy in serving, and you will see greatness. You want to find out if you're a servant? Let somebody treat you like one. Watch what happens inside your heart. All kinds of ugliness starts bubbling up. Who do they think they are treating me like that? Oh, they couldn't even say thank you? Okay, look, I serve them every day. I ask for help once and they're too busy. Not serving them again. We tend to use our service to get from people. And what Jesus says is simply by humbling ourselves and becoming a servant like he is, we will see greatness. We will see him like we've never seen him before. And in fact, we will even see the Father like we've never seen the Father before when we choose to serve. See, the disciples were always asking the question, what do we get in return? Yeah, I'm following Jesus, and what do I get in return? Is it going to be fame? Is it going to be riches? Is it going to be power? Is it going to be authority? It's going to be greatness. Everyone's going to know my name because I follow Jesus that good. This was kind of the the posture of the disciples, and they were missing it. They were serving to get, and that does not work. This is not servant leadership. Here's what Jesus does. So he calls the child up, and he says, you want to see greatness Welcome this child. No one has ever been made great, and I'm putting this in quotes, no one has ever been made great by serving children. I'm just telling you that right now. There's no millionaires out there because they just do that good at serving in a nursery, at working at an orphanage, at cuddling babies at the hospital, whatever it may be. That is not the fast track to quote-unquote greatness. 
and especially back in Jesus' day, culturally, children were worthless. They were actually just a drain on the family until they got old enough that they could actually get a job. Children were, were, they were dead last. And Jesus says, you want to see greatness? Focus on them. Spend your time behind the scenes. Understand that, like, here's how I think of this. Jesus says the last will be first and the first shall be last. So I picture one day we get to heaven and there's a line. I fully expect to be behind all the nursery workers. 100%. Like, well, but, but I'm pretty important though, right? I have a microphone and a spotlight. You want to talk greatness? According to what Jesus says, those who serve behind the scenes will be honored far more greatly than me, and I praise the Lord for it. Cheryl, I'm going to be like just waving at you from back here in the line, and she's shaking her head no, but the way you love children, and many of you in here, you'll be far ahead of me in line and praise the Lord. But the disciples were looking for greatness now. They were looking for reward now. They were looking for power and authority. They were looking for things that the kingdoms of the earth promise. And Jesus was telling them, you're missing it. You're completely missing what it is to follow me, what it is to be in relationship with me, because you're treating it like I'm some earthly king, like I do things the way the earth does it, and you're missing it. They were falling into the trap of importing the rules of this kingdom into his kingdom. They were trying to take the framework that this world works on and like put it into Jesus' kingdom. And he's going, you've got it completely backwards. My kingdom turns the earthly kingdoms on their heads. The greatest are the ones that are the greatest servants, not the ones who are served the most. They're the ones who sacrifice the most, not get the most. His kingdom is completely backwards to the earth's kingdom, but his disciples were missing it. They were viewing it through the wrong lens, and they were in danger of missing it. So as Jesus has this boy come up, and he's trying to give them the keys to the kingdom, you want to see greatness. Serve ones, quote-unquote, valueless ones, worthless ones like this child, and you will see greatness like you've never seen it before, And in the midst of Jesus talking, John speaks up. Verse 38, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Don't stop him, Jesus said, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, since you belong to the Messiah... I assure you, he will never lose his reward. Jesus is in the middle of holding up his his illustration, this child, saying, serve children like this. And John goes, hey, there was some guys who were using your name to cast out demons. We tried to get them to stop. Aren't you proud of us, Jesus? Because, Because they're not one of us. We're your disciples, Jesus. I don't know who these people thought they were. And they come at it with this very competitive uh, lens that they're viewing it through. So we tried to stop them. And you can see Jesus just going, oh my goodness, boys. How are you missing this? 
don't try to stop them. If they're not against us, they're for us. If they're doing things to set people free, why would you try to stop them? You can start to, to hear the pride, the, the ambition, the arrogance that was going on in the hearts of the disciples at the time. They were getting glory that should be ours. Maybe there was even a crowd around them like there often is when we do it, but people weren't cheering us. They're not a part of us. They shouldn't be allowed to do it. They saw competition instead of celebrating newfound freedom for the one who had been delivered. Can you imagine it? Someone is suffering from a spiritual attack. And as someone sets them free, quote unquote, the real Christians step in and go, hey, quit it. You don't get to set them free without us. We would rather they be oppressed than see you bring them freedom. It's, it's hard to even put yourself there because if we saw this, we would be in the crowd celebrating. Praise the Lord, this person's been set free. But the disciples saw it as competition. Who do they think they are? That's what we do. We're the ones that come in and get cheered, not them. They couldn't get over their preconceived ideas of greatness and power. Again, think of the scene. Jesus is trying to pour out his heart to his disciples about what's coming in Jerusalem. He's trying to teach them, humble yourselves. Serve the ones that no one will ever applaud you for serving. This is greatness. And they're completely missing it. They were too distracted by their pride, their arrogance, and their ambition. So John cuts in and, and, and interrupts Jesus to, to try to get an attaboy. We tried to stop those people. Jesus sets them straight, and then I think he tries to get their attention. In verse 42, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their necks and they were thrown into the sea. Do I have your attention now, disciples? A large millstone, this massive square stone that was used to erect these huge structures, it would be better for someone causing these little ones to stumble to have one of those tied around their necks and thrown into the sea. Do I have your attention now? I'm calling you to serve the little ones and hear me. You guys are so distracted and you're looking at everything over there. If you cause one of these little ones to stumble it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. And in case you haven't caught it yet, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, Pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Do I have your attention now, disciples? You start talking about people being thrown into water with a millstone tied around their neck and cutting off their hands and feet because hell is scary. Jesus is trying to get their attention. Look at the arc of the conversation that's happened here. Jesus kind of gets to a point where he goes, you're missing it? Let me tell you what's at stake here. 
we're not just talking about whether people in the village know your name or not. If this is causing you to stumble, in this case, if your pride and your arrogance, your own ambition, if this is causing you to stumble, cut it off. It's better to enter life one-handed, one-footed, one-eyed than to be cast into hell because you missed it. We cannot play around with the things that separate us from him. Jesus is telling his disciples, these may seem like small things now, but these will kill you. If you, if you play around with these, if you keep kind of feeding and protecting these, they will grow and they will destroy you. Cut it off. Do not miss what's at stake. Jesus wasn't saying this because he was mad and he was telling them you're going to hell. Jesus' desire was that his disciples enter into life. But he's telling them this is holding you back and if you don't deal with it drastically, this will destroy you. We cannot afford to be distracted by the things of earthly kingdoms. There's too much at stake. The author of the book of Hebrews uh, agrees with Jesus uh, in Hebrews 12, just coming out of Hebrews chapter 11, which is many refer to the hall of faith. It's story after story of faithful men and women of God giving up everything to follow him, trusting him in incredible circumstances. Sometimes they die for their faith. Sometimes they go on these incredible journeys and see the Lord move. That's all of chapter 11. And here's how he starts chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And I think that this verse is so fitting for what Jesus is saying. Because look, did Jesus say, look, if you have this horrible sin issue, cut off your foot? He said, look, if something is causing you to stumble. Because there's things that we can look at in this life and we go, but that's not sin. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not cheating on my taxes. I'm not lying to anyone. It's not sin. It's fine, right? And Jesus says, look, if this causes you to stumble, cut it off. The writer of Hebrews says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. There are certain things that are just straight up sin issues. Anyone in any circumstances who does this, that is sin. It is against the will of God. And then there are other things that are distractions to us. They're not sin in and of themselves, but given time, they will lead us away from him. They hinder us. They cause us to stumble. Jesus sees this growing in the heart of his disciples. Their pride, their desire for recognition, for greatness. And he says, cut it off. This will destroy you. Throw this off. Do not let it continue to hinder you. Look, it is, like, it, will it hurt? To, would it hurt to cut off your hand? Would it hurt to cut off your foot, to pluck out your eye? Of course it would. But Jesus says, with what's at stake, it's better to hurt now and experience life that is truly life, even into eternity, than it is to enjoy that for now and miss everything. Cut it off. Cast it off. 
If it's hindering you, if it's causing you to stumble, it is not worth it. Get rid of it. Take drastic measures because toying around with these things that cause you to stumble have drastic consequences. So take drastic measures. And Jesus goes on. He tells them then, everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves. Be at peace with each other. This is, at least for us nowadays, one of the more cryptic things that Jesus says. This is one of those things that can be hard to understand. I actually get a lot of questions about this passage, or, or there's also Matthew 5, where we'll go in a minute. This whole thing of salt losing its saltiness, and what is he trying to say? But let's start with this. He says, everyone will be salted with fire. He, he's telling them, remember, if it's causing you to stumble, cut it off. Because it's not worth what waits for those who walk away from me. Speaking about hell, where the fire is never quenched. And he says, but look, everyone will be salted with fire. Every one of our faith will be tested. Every one of us will have to come to a point where we have to choose, am I willing to cut that off? Death to self, because that's exactly what it feels like. It feels like death to tell yourself no, to cut that thing off, especially when it's not sin, because I have every reason in my head why it's okay. It's not, it's not hurting anyone. But if it's causing me to stumble, if it's leading me away, cut it off. Every single one of us will be tested, will be salted with fire. Will our faith remain? Will we in those moments be willing to make the hard choice of death to self so that we can see life that is truly life? Every one of us will be salted with fire. What will remain? Because salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? The disciples would have heard this before. This is not the first time Jesus said this, and they would have gone, oh, he's going back to that again. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty it's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled by men. Think about it this way. If salt loses its saltiness, is it salt anymore? What is it? I don't know. We don't even have a word for it because what Jesus is saying is preposterous. Salt can't lose its saltiness. And it's supposed to be vexing. It's supposed to be something that causes you to go, Jesus, that's impossible because he's trying to tie it together and he goes, look, following me without actually following me, being my disciple without caring about the things that I care about, without approaching life the way that I approach it, is impossible. You cannot follow me without actually following me. You can't follow me without actually becoming like me any more than you can be salt but not taste salty. They would have heard it and they would have gone... That's dumb, Jesus. Salt that's not salty. And he would have gone, exactly. To be my follower but not be like me. To not care about the things that I care about. To call yourself my disciple and not look like me in priorities and in character. To have your life not shaped like my life is, but to call yourself my 
my disciple is just as foolish as salt not being salty. And again, he's trying to get his disciples' attention. Don't let this get you. Right now, you're being tested. You're being salted with fire. Are you willing to make the hard choice? Are you willing to cut off the hand so that you can see life that is truly life? Don't miss it. We cannot be a part of Jesus' kingdom and live by our own rules. It's unsalty salt. It doesn't work. We can't live for the king while building our own kingdom. It's unsalty salt. It's an impossibility. It can't exist. Jesus was telling his disciples, these things that you're distracted by, they're leading you away from me. You're in danger of losing your saltiness. Wake up. I'm heading to Jerusalem to die a criminal's death in service to those who curse me. And you think you're heading towards riches and glory. We're not getting there together. Wake up. Don't lose your saltiness. So now, let's talk. Let's learn from each other. Good for the disciples. Like, I hope they learned their lesson. They didn't. Uh, we'll talk about it later. But for us today, not too many of us are going around uh, thinking that because we follow Jesus, we're going to become famous and have authority. Not really where we are. But the warning stands true for us. So let me ask this question. What distractions could cause us to lose our saltiness today? What are the things of this world? What are the temptations that we have in front of us that could cause us to lose our saltiness? Comfort. How so? She said, comfort, uh, it's so easy to just think about what feels good to me, what comes naturally to me, what's within my comfort zone. I can guarantee you to follow Jesus is to be called outside of your comfort zone. I don't know if I can promise daily, but probably daily. If we're going to hold on to comfort, we will, guaranteed, lose our saltiness. The king leads us outside of our comfort zone to advance his kingdom. Death to self, like I keep saying. We can't say yes to self and die to self at the same time. What else, Maverick? Yeah. Choosing to do what you want to do because sometimes that's not what God wants you to do. Absolutely. No, go ahead.
no, that's real. And I appreciate you sharing that because I think we can all grab on to that. I think far more often cutting off your hand, your foot, plucking out your eye is going to look like seemingly small things. Again, the things that it's easy to go, but it's not a big deal. It's just spider solitaire. It's not a big deal. Well, then why are you having such a hard time giving it up? You know what I mean? Like, and so those are the real things where just that distraction, I just need to check out for a little while. And Jesus is going, don't check out, check in with me. This is causing you to miss what I have for you. Turn. Thank you, Cheryl. David? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That is probably the best way I've heard that put. You do this or else. That's not humble. 100%. Yeah. You cannot be proud and a servant at the same time. The two cannot coexist. What we call those who serve in pride, is uh, they're actually using people. They're actually manipulating. Again, that's I'm serving you to get this from you. And we do not see that modeled by Jesus. We see truly selfless service because he had the kingdom lens and he was able to see it the way the king sees it. What else? What distractions could cause us to lose our saltiness? While someone's serving you, it's easy to just kind of sit back and put your feet up and go, hey, it's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, and we, yeah, we lose that, wait, I'm called to do the same. That's good. Okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah. The the fear of offending people. Uh, there's there's a decent chance we stay inside of our comfort zones because we want to try to keep everybody happy, and to go outside of our comfort zone might offend someone. I might end up like by serving this side, I might offend that side or or whatever it may look like. And while that's a scary thing, it shouldn't be surprising. Uh, in the scripture, the gospel is referred to as an offense, the offense of the gospel that people will find the gospel offensive. Guess what? The disciples, when they heard this, they probably found what Jesus was saying pretty offensive. Yet it was what they needed to hear. Jesus couldn't have actually said he loved them if he was willing to watch them walk away down that path and not say anything. Because, well, he just didn't want to offend. Serving them, loving them, was actually came through offending them. And there's times when we won't even mean it offensive, but it's going to offend someone. Are we willing to follow? That's good. Thank you. Anything else? Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 You lose salt when you're sitting in the cave prison, I think is what we were calling it. Yeah. When we choose to remain in sin, guaranteed you will lose your saltiness. You cannot follow the king and remain in sin. 
He will never lead us into sin. He is always, always, always calling us out of sin. You cannot remain in sin and follow the king. Impossible. Unsalty salt. What else? Money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, money, especially in our culture right now, is a huge distraction. Is money sinful in and of itself? No. Yet, we cannot serve both God and money. Both can't be your God. And here's the, the tricky thing about money. Given enough time, it will always try to be your God. Will we allow it? Or do we cut off the foot? You know what? Like, I got to have a big old pile of it or else I don't feel like I'm okay. Maybe I need to give it away. It's going to look different for a lot of us, but money is a huge one. Yeah, relationships can definitely be one of those distractions, not because people are bad and distractions in and of themselves, but because when relationships get put to a point where I get this from this person, and if I do what Jesus is calling me to do, it might hurt the relationship, and then I wouldn't get what I need from this person anymore. Again, that's a user. That's a manipulator. But easily we can fall into those things, and now Jesus says to say something that may offend. It may bring life to this person, but I'm unwilling because if it hurts the relationship, I don't get what I need anymore. That's a, again, it's, it's twisted. And it's easy to excuse away, no, I just want to be nice. I don't want to offend anyone. But what's happening in the heart can be much, much darker. So let me, let me move on and ask this next question. So let's get practical. What does it look like to cut off our hand or to put out our eye for the kingdom? We, we've just listed a bunch of things that can be distractions, Money, pride, relationships, uh, comfort, spider solitaire, whatever they may be, what does it practically look like to cut off our foot, to cut off our hand, to pluck out our eye for the kingdom? <laughs> Delete spider solitaire. Cheryl, we got a winner over here. Mick? Okay, just going out of your comfort zone. He said, you know, if you have that thing where it might offend someone, to, to step out of your comfort zone. To act, like, here's the thing, to trust God to be God when he leads you somewhere knowing that he knows what he's doing and following him, walking in obedience. Maverick? <laughs> Sometimes it's a simple, I say simple, it's hard, but it's turning and walking away from it. Sometimes it's, it's an actual thing. It, Spider solitaire, we're, we're coming back to that well again and again. Deleting the app, turning and walking away from it. Truly cutting this thing off, it's dead, it's gone. I, I, I'm not going back to that anymore. I've gotten rid of it. You know, there's some of the things that are actual physical things that we can do that with. Many of the things on our list were not. So what does it look like? Mm -hmm. But if you have 
to yes. kind of like help you overcome that, not just drugs and alcohol, but addictions can be anything. Right. And, you know, our cell phones, uh, pornography, drugs or alcohol, anything that you're going to, to numb yourself, distract yourself, comfort yourself, that you should be going to Jesus for. Yeah. You have an accountability partner, somebody that you can just completely trust and say, I can't walk away from this on my own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. We have to use others. And uh, David, you brought up the passage earlier from First John, uh, where he says, "When you walk in the light, you have fellowship with God and with one another." And there's this beauty there of walking in the light takes a family. Uh, to remain in fellowship with Him, in a healthy relationship with Him, we need each other. I was talking with somebody earlier this week, and uh, the whole idea of like all you need is Jesus is a lie, and you won't ever find it in the Scripture. Even in the beginning, God created Adam and he said, ooh, you should not be alone. This doesn't go good places if you're by yourself. He created us to need one another. Whether you look at 1 Corinthians 12 and how Paul's talking about the giftings that God has given us and how intertwined we are together, dependent on each other, if we're going to cut off our hand and and pluck out our eye for the kingdom, if we're going to truly walk away from these damaging, dangerous things, tendencies, whatever they may be, you cannot do it alone. Be it addiction, be it a relationship, be it, uh, man, God is calling you outside of your comfort zone and you're just that scared to do it, you cannot do it alone. You weren't wired to. You were designed to be in relationship and community. We need each other if we're going to do this well. Jesus didn't pull the disciples aside one at a time and tell them, hey, go deal with it and come back. He talked to them as a group. And you better believe on the road out of there, they were talking going, man, what do we do with that? How do we do that? And they were coming together over it. We need each other. You cannot do it alone. Tim, you had something? Or did she steal your thunder? You can count to 10? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a home. 
serves two purposes. Mm-hmm. So if we're thinking about God, thinking about a holiday at the sea, we don't want to make blood ties. It doesn't right. feel like a, such a painful cut when yeah. we're trading it. Yeah. Yeah. When, and, and thank you. I, I tend to frame things from the negative side of the question, um, not from the positive. That's not my natural. Uh, but it's what Jesus does here is he doesn't just go, hey, cut it off because hell's hot. He goes, man, it's so much better to enter into life. This is what we're talking about here. It, it, is life or separation? That's what we're talking about here. And he's, he's telling them, choose life. It's way better. It's the vacation at the sea. Quit it with the mud pies. And Cheryl, I, Cheryl loves being used as an example. Uh, can't say her name enough from up here. She just keeps looking further and further down. Uh, even as Cheryl was talking, and she said, you know, it wasn't just the Lord said, hey, quit it with the solitaire. Stop it. She was like, well, what, what does that mean? What am I supposed to do? And he goes, what if instead you spent that time praying blessings over these children, and, and you come and you run to me instead? I'm way better than that. That's not even meeting your need. It's not even coming close. I can give you life. Come choose me instead. And it is about choosing the alternative. Thank you. Not just, now I'm handless, but okay. It's about this was keeping me from life. And now I get to experience life because I'm willing to cut that off, to set that down, to let that die. Linda? (laughs) For the moms in the room. Well, dads pay attention too, but it's like giving a child a pacifier instead of the real bottle. It doesn't satisfy, and it typically doesn't last that long. (laughs) That thing gets spit out quicker than you can imagine. Yeah. Jeanette? Yeah, and listen, none of us are going to be perfect in this. There's, there's so many times when you look back and you go, I know what he was calling me to, and I just I didn't have the strength to do it. And in those times, we tend to beat ourselves up. Know that God is never on your side of beating you up. He, he's never throwing the rocks. He's always over there going, it's okay, I'm here with you. Let's try it again. I, I provided a way of escape for you in that. Like, you, you didn't take that step, but he's not up there going, how dare you? He is on our side, and he is always calling us back, always calling us further in. Maverick, that hand has been up for a long time. What do you got? When you cut it off, you can't put it back on. You got to choose to let it go. I'll tell you what, though. How many of us have some weird, like, zombie hands because we tried stitching that thing back on? You know what I mean? God told us to put it down, and we did for a week. Then we came back, little by little. We made excuses, we whatever. And he's going, hey, it's gross. Cut it off and leave it alone. It's keeping you from life. Let it die. I get it, Kim. I don't frame it from the positive well. I get it.
long obedience in the same direction. Yeah, and, and I'll tell you this from my own experience, and many of you have probably experienced this too. This will sound weird. Uh, the first hand you cut off is the hardest um, because after that, you go, whoa, he was right. I didn't recognize it, but that was killing me. Whoa, the thing that he called me to is way better. And your faith is built. And the next time he says, now it's a foot. You didn't even notice it before, but now that you're free from that first thing and you're starting to experience life, now you see that like, whoa, this is holding me back. And he says, cut it off. And I'm not saying it's ever a pleasant thing. I'm not saying we ever go, yay. But there comes a point of like, man, I was so much freer after I cut off the first limb. This sounds like such a weird conversation. I know that I can do this one. Now that I know what's on the other side, and it becomes easier and easier to obey because he was faithful with the first one. And then I tried him a second time and he was faithful with the second one. Now here comes the third. Why wouldn't I trust him with it? It hurt in the moment, but life was always better, richer, more fulfilling. I could hear his voice more. I experienced his presence more. Why wouldn't I cut this next thing off if it's hindering me from that? Anything else? <laughs> the first cut is the deepest. I can just see t-shirts being made out of this, and all of a sudden, no one comes to church here anymore. Super duper weird. I saw like six hands go up, so yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, to be willing to let your pride die for the betterment of yourself. Who else? Like I said, I saw multiple. They kind of flashed. David? Yeah. Right. 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 good. Anyone else? Last thing I'll say, as, as, as David was talking, like it just hit me. One of the reasons that I struggle personally as I read through this, and again, you go, whoa, Jesus, like pretty dark, man. Like, what do you cut off your hand? Because in my head, I'm picturing cutting off a perfectly healthy hand, a useful hand, a hand that actually helps me in life. What Jesus sees is, is gangrenous. What Jesus sees is infected, and it's working its way up my arm. It, so often, again, I read this, and what I view is I look at my actual hand and I go, but a good God wouldn't call you to do that, would he? A good doctor's not just walking around lopping off limbs. Well, I'll tell you what, a good doctor lops off the ones that are infected and are going to kill the body. That is the most loving thing that doctor could ever do for that patient. I just have it in my head, but no, these are good things. Kind of like Kim was saying earlier, my default is these are good things God's trying to keep me from, and it just shows my skewed perspective. These are poison. These are infected. These are killing me, and he's stopping the infection so that I can live. 
So maybe that one's just for me. Are we willing to put down the distractions? Are we willing to cut off the infected limbs so that we can have life? Even if the limb's infected, it's going to hurt. It's going to feel like death. But he promises life on the other side. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, would you give us courage, God, through your Holy Spirit? Most of us probably have something in our mind right now that you have been putting your finger on for a while, that you have been calling us to to cut off, to set down, to let die, to walk away from. And because of comfort, because of fear, because, because of our avoidance of anything that could hurt, we have told you no, and the infection has grown. It's festered. Lord, would you speak clearly to us the next step. And may you, through your Holy Spirit, provide for us the courage we can't muster up ourselves that we could walk in obedience with you, that we could see our faith deepened because I know that you will be faithful. Would you be patient with us? Would you be sweet to us? But would you call us into the next hard step that we could experience life that is truly life? May we respond in obedience, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.